Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Come on in. Have a seat. Uh, we're so glad to be here in the house of the Lord this morning. If you're, uh, if you're new with us or kind of new, we're just really thankful that you're here. I hope you guys uh, believe us when we say we, we believe that, that nobody comes into this building without God bringing them. And so we see you as, as one of us. We see you as someone that we, we, should, we should love and we should uh, be kind to and help in any way that we can. And so uh, welcome and really glad that you're with us today. Uh, there's just a few things that we need to talk about. One is uh, the membership renewal. Um, our bylaws say that you uh, renew your membership every three years, and so uh, you, need to, you need to fill out that form. There's a form back there. You can do this QR code in the bulletin and do it online, and you can put that form in the offering plate or slide it underneath the office door uh, down the hall there, but uh, we just need you to do that, and you have a few months to get that done. And um, we're, our heart in that is just to have a, an active and vibrant church membership, and so please, uh, please do that if you can. Then... Uh, Pastor Max is uh, is uh, going to be uh, speaking at this uh, marriage conference on the 17th. There's a flyer in the bulletin, and so you, you can start signing up anytime now. should be a good conference. So if you have any questions, talk to Max about that. Then uh, we have this uh, special business meeting at the end of the month, and it's going to be about our child protection policy. We've written a, a, just a child protection policy that uh, we're, we're trying to implement. And so we need you guys to grab a copy of that down at the, at the information booth and just read over that and mark it up and have any questions or, or things that, uh, that you have uh, thoughts about and then come to that meeting. We can discuss it and we're going to vote that thing in and try to follow it as a church with the heart of just protecting our children. So then uh, lastly, um, we have the Lord's Supper down here that uh, we're going to have communion today. So stand up on your feet and uh, just begin worship this morning. God, thank you for dying on the cross for us, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much, Lord, in our broken state, in our sinful state, Lord, loving us to the place that you'd be willing to give up your life for us and die for us and make us forgiven and clean, God. And So we have the opportunity to stand before you in this place this morning and be forgiven and be clean. So I pray that we would do that and confess our sins and lay our, our burdens at your feet and uh, Give, your, give our worries up to you, fathers, and let you take them, Lord, and so that we can take this communion and remember the death on the cross for us and your blood and your body, Lord. What more could we ask than a God who would give his life for us, Lord? Let's worship you today. Thanks for being our God. Amen. 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 Let's hope you came prepared to rejoice this morning as we of all people have so much to rejoice in.
this morning. All right, we will sing again this morning. As believers, it's amazing. One of the great sources of joy that we have in our life is God's word. So let's sing about God's word this morning.
This is a powerful song and a more powerful truth, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's time for us to pray. And I just want you to know as we go into this prayer time that the early service is more blessed than you are. Because we had with us Carrie Curtis, who is one of the missionaries that we support. She was with us then, but now she sent a little tiny picture. If you can see her, that's her with her dog, which of course is named Max. Yeah. So we're going to pray for her. And this is what she asked that I communicate to you. Two things. First of all, well, three things. Um, First of all, she has these sign-up lists. If you would like to receive her emails and newsletters, you need to sign up here. And so I will leave these uh, up here on the, on the stage so you can come up after the worship service and you can sign up for that. She also wanted me to make sure that you understood that she is extremely grateful to you that we get to support her. And that's a privilege and a responsibility that God has given us to support her with her work in Alaska with college students and helping them know Christ and follow him. Um, But she has an opportunity this next month that she's asked that we particularly pray for. On the 2nd of March, she's going to go to Siberia and do some training there and uh, let God use her there. And then she promised that she's going to come back and share that with us. Um, so be praying for her. Pray for her provision. Pray for her preparation. Pray for her language skills. Those things. All right. And I hope you get to know Carrie Curtis at some time. Um, beautiful uh, heart in that young lady. And so let's, uh, let's pray for her now. Okay. God, we thank you for Carrie Uh, for her heart. She's faithful, and that's what you have done in her, Lord. And you use her, and we pray that you would use her even more. We pray for her safety as she travels. We pray for provision, and that comes out of your hands. God, you, you give her what she needs. You give us what we need, and so even in that regard, Lord, um, direct our giving as it needs to be to help her. God, we do pray that you would prepare her with uh, rest and the energy she will need and the, the understanding of language and the, the ability to communicate. Uh, we pray, God, that as, as you take her to Siberia, it would be Uh, Something that you use to change lives. Hers and the people she'll be with and the people that she will encounter. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified. That your word would be accurately presented. And that you would show up. The life of your son would become the life of, of so many, Lord, there. So, Lord, show us our responsibility Uh, As we give this morning in our offering, Lord, show us how to use that which you've already given us. Show us how to give out of that as you direct. Show us how to use what you direct us to give so that your kingdom is enlarged and your children walk more closely with you. That we make disciples, that we tell this world 
that Jesus is the Savior, the reigning King and Lord of all creation. So thank you for this opportunity, Lord. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, would you come?
There we go. Sorry. Glad you're here this morning. And we were blessed uh, first service, like Max said, had a young lady, Carrie Curtis, who's, she grew up here, uh, was saved while she was at College Heights, baptized, and then her mom and dad moved to Wisconsin, and, and uh, we've been blessed to know this family for a long time and to see God work in their lives in incredible ways, and to have this young lady serving him up in Alaska and the Yukon and Russia and just uh, sharing the gospel along with her parents who were missionaries in Zambia for a while, uh, working with an orphanage that we work with. It's been pretty, pretty powerful. So it is unfortunate you didn't get to meet her, but hopefully next time you will. And uh, we also had Celadon Green here this morning who we've prayed for for a long time. He's a part of our family and he has been as sick as anybody I've ever met for a long, long time, four months, five months or so. To see him back was a thrill for us. So very thankful for that. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you as well. Um, lots of people are asking me how my health is since I wasn't here last week. I kind of joked in first service that I ought to be gone more often. Maybe you guys can pray for me more often. But uh, anyway, uh, my health is doing better. I feel way better than I did last weekend. Um, I said I wouldn't talk about it, but I'm, I'm going to try not to. I just have one more hurdle. They have to scrape a bunch of dead bone out of my jaw. And uh, after that's done, then we're hoping that antibiotics just kill this thing and I'll be back to normal, whatever that looks like. So if you want to pray about this, pray that when I go to the orthopedic surgeon tomorrow that there's no dead bone in there and they don't have to do that. Otherwise, just pray that, you know, I'll survive. How about that? <coughs> Because they did that once to me before, and it was great. Anyway, uh, turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 with me this morning. We'll get back into the Word. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth to each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth. Not only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be here this morning. I'm truly grateful for these that are here, for this church that is represented here, and for the chance to come together in your name, for your glory, to worship, to hear from you. And Lord God, we pray that you would speak through your word to each one of us, to those that don't know you, I pray that you'd draw them today to faith in Jesus Christ, to a relationship with you, Lord God, that brings glory and honor to you and that they might receive eternal life through Christ. For the rest of us as followers of Christ, that, Lord, you would strengthen our walk with you and call us to a deeper relationship with you. And the Father, you would, you would teach us what it means to be a church not just an individual believer casually connected with some other believers, but your church, your body, so that you would be glorified in us. And Lord, I just pray that you would do that for, for your praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we have been talking about the church. Uh, Pastor Max filled in last week, did a great job uh, talking about other areas of the church. And, and we've been talking out of chapter 4 of Ephesians about the church. And it's a strange kind of thing to me because, you know, a church is, a church is, is a beautiful thing because God created her. But it's also kind of a difficult thing. I mean, it's easy to be a Christian somehow, they claim, and have no relationship in the church, have no commitment to a church, have no understanding of the purpose of the church, but, you know, say you go to church or say you're a part of a church or say you're a member of a church, but the church, the church is this powerful gift from God, not just for God's glory, but to impact our world. And quite honestly, most of us push off the church. It takes a lot of work to have relationships within the church. It takes a lot of work to have a commitment to a church that says, I'm going to be in it for them. I'm going to be in it with them. I'm going to walk through this with them because, you know, there's a lot of different personalities, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different ages, a lot of different struggles that happen within a church. They're imperfect. They're imperfect like we are imperfect. And yet, man, God, he made the church as we would look, if we look back in Ephesians chapter 3 at the end, he does this great work through us, work that we can't ask for or even imagine about so that he will get glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, who's the head of the church. Those are powerful statements to me. Now, he's not just working in your individual life so God will get glory. He wants to work in all of us in ways that we couldn't even ask for or imagine so that he'll get glory in all of us. Like working together, it's a key issue for the Lord. And so we began to look through chapter 4. I want to review a little bit so we can come up to speed to where we are. And first thing we talked about after he said he wants to get glory through his church and through Christ Jesus is he tells us to walk worthy of our calling. In other words, if we're going to give God glory and honor in his church, then we have to walk in a way that reflects the fact that God called us to salvation, that reflects the change in our life that shows that we are different people than, they, than we were when we started in this business with God. We learned that to walk worthy of our calling means to walk with all humility and gentleness, patiently bearing with one another and making every effort to keep the, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's a mouthful of words. But all that means is that we're gonna have to work really hard we're going to have to be really humble. We're going to be really gentle with each other. We're going to have to bear with one another so that we can keep the unity of the Spirit. In order, the unity that was created when the Spirit of God came into me and came into you, that brings unity to us because of Christ. That's what that is. So if we are all in Christ Jesus, we should be unified in the bond of peace. And, he, and then he iterate, reiterates after that that the unity is found because there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's over all, in all, through all. I mean, think about that. If you're in Christ Jesus, all those things are true of you just like they're true of me. That unity that we have in that spirit is powerful. It's unlike any other unity that you could find anywhere else. So that should bring us together that we might walk together. And he talks about the fact that he even gave gifts to the church so that we could grow in those things. Gifts that he called 
apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These guys were to equip the saints. They were to do the work of the ministry. They were to do the, the build, help the church be built together. And I, and I love this so that we would reach a unity of the faith in the knowledge of God's son. And, and here's the kicker of this. So that we would grow into the maturity which is measured by Christ's fullness. In other words, the, gro- the goal of the church is for us to come together, walk together, till we're all growing in the knowledge of God's Son to the place where we're maturing into Christ's fullness. Like into who Christ is and how he thinks and how he acts and into what he says and the attitudes that he displays. I mean, it's no small thing to be a part of a church. It's not an individual thing where you guys, you, we, we come sometimes and go, well, I'm gonna get something out of it for me, but the rest of it's up to somebody else. No, no, the church is designed to walk together in this unity because that's how we grow into the maturity of Christ. We need each other and we need to walk together in this. That's profound, but it's also profound because he says he doesn't want us to be little children easily influenced by false teachings and false teachers with evil motives. And, you know, we sometimes hear that, and we think that these false teachers are, you know, kind of strange to us and so forth, but we've recently had a person really working hard to become part of our church to bring some false teaching, recently, very recently, and uh, we've kind of had to, had to say, no, no, that's, that's not what we are, it's not who we are, it's not what the Bible teaches, that's not how that's going to go, because it's, it's no joke in this world today. I mean, if you're going to actually know God's word, you're going to teach God's word, if we're going to be a church that stands on God's word, there's some tough things that are going to have to happen. Throughout my ministry, there's always been times where I've had to deal with people who decide they're going to go this way or going to go that way. And when it's not God's way, we don't get to go there because that pulls down the church and destroys the church. And so we have to walk in some unique ways. Two weeks ago, we learned that we were not to live like the Gentiles or the unbelievers live and that we were to put off the old manner of life. This is super convicting, right? And we're to put on the new self that was created according to the likeness of God in righteousness and in purity of truth. That's a crazy statement because the old manner of life is seen everywhere we go. If you walk out this door and go to a restaurant, you're going to see the old manner of life on display. Now, if you go home and you let your guard down spiritually, you're going to show the old manner of life. If you go to work or wherever you go, the old manner of life is on display all around us. And man, it's easy to fall back into the old manner of life. And yet the Bible tells us because of Christ Jesus in us, we're to put on the new self. And we are to live in the likeness of God in righteousness and purity of truth and And man, we're not going to do that without walking with other people who do that. We're not going to do that on our own. And and so the church becomes incredibly important when you actually see what God wants of her, what God wants from her. And quite honestly, it becomes very important to our community because when we live like Christ calls us to live as a church, the world goes, how is that possible? How is it possible for these people 
to be so set apart? How is it possible for these people to be so loving? How is it possible for these people to be so forgiving? How is it possible for these people to be so, so weird? The world thinks we're weird. If you live for Jesus, you know they think you're weird. They might use other terms for it, but they think you're weird, radical, crazy, whatever you want to say. But that's a testimony, right? So as we come to verse 25 and following today, matter of fact, all the way through the end of Ephesians, this is all written in context of the church. We read the book of Ephesians sometimes in lots of different contexts, but all these, the rest of this book is about how we walk together as a church and what it should look like to be a church. And so I kind of call these verses kind of nuts and bolts verses where it's kind of putting things together in a more pragmatic way. But it's also, it's also kind of cool because it's literally saying because you are walking in the new self, this is what happens in your life. Not, you're not trying to do this to please God. Christ makes you acceptable to God. But when the new self is put on, like he talked about right before this, then this is how you want to live your life. So let's remember that as we go through this. Verse 25 begins by saying, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Now that seems to be pretty simple as far as being a Christian, right? We should put away lying. Uh, That's a simple one. I mean, lying, there's never going to be a lie that doesn't tear down somehow, some way. It's going to be found out. You're going to be found to be a liar. You're going to be found to be a a deceiver. You're going to be found to be a person that doesn't have character. If you're going to be speaking lies, that's what happens, right? And then within the church, man, if you're going to keep on lying, then you're certainly not putting on the new self, right? But instead of lying, he says, to speak truth, each one of you to his neighbor, because you are members of one another. Now, some folks, you could read that and go, well, he wants us to speak truth just in general to everybody. Well, that's true. I don't believe you should ever be lying. But when it says members of one another, he's talking about each one being members of the body of Christ and each one being connected to the body of Christ. And he's specifically saying, no more lying to one another, which I know seems somewhat simple, and yet when you begin to put it in practice, uh, it's tougher than we think. Man, within the body of Christ, you know, we don't always want to speak truth. Anybody know what I'm talking about now? If you speak truth to somebody, man, that, that might hurt their feelings. I, and I... I I know this may sound funny, but I have to do it every Sunday. I'll never forget the lady that I went to visit after she'd come for a little while. And I said, well, you know, thanks for coming to College Heights. It's been great to have you. You know, anything I can do for you? Any questions you might have? And she goes, well, the one thing I know is that every time I come, you make me feel like crap. That's a quote. I'm, well, thank you for saying that. You have the gift of encouragement. I don't think I said that. I might have said, well, I hope that's the Lord and not me. But uh, anyway, speaking truth, it's not so easy. 
I mean, sometimes we think that not speaking is better than speaking. And certainly the Bible says there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. But sometimes when it comes to actually speaking truth to one another about where you are in your life with Christ or if you're living in sin rather than walking in righteousness, sometimes we go, I don't want to take that risk. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to have to call somebody to repentance. I don't want to have to tell them that what they're doing is is going to be devastating in their relationship with God. So we say we don't really lie, but the truth is we are. We're lying. And we're letting them continue on in a destructive behavior. And man, we should be done with that. I mean, the church is here to help one another. The church is here to point us to Christ. The church is here to build up the name of Jesus Christ. It's not here for personal comfort. It's not here to promote unrighteousness. That's a fact. And man, I gotta be honest with you, I've, I've grieved over some stuff because even right now, we have a person that's kind of running around telling lies. Telling lies. Uh, bringing division and, and strife in our church. And I don't say that in a proud way. Somebody I love, somebody I've walked with, somebody I've tried to, to be honest with and I was very honest with. And now they're just walking around telling lies. Sad part is, is some of us want to believe them instead of actually saying, no, no, that's not true. And you shouldn't be speaking like that. And guys, it's painful. It's painful because it dishonors God. It's painful because it dishonors the church. It's painful. And we can't beat people like that. I mean, speak truth, men and women. Speak truth in love. It is very costly sometimes, but it's more costly to let somebody live a lie and have their relationship with Christ broken. It's better to speak to the truth to them that they might come to repentance. I, I didn't have this written in my sermon, but I thought about this passage in the first service, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You can turn there with me if you want to, but it's one of the great passages when it comes to speaking truth. In verse 8, it says, For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you, yet only for a while. I now rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. Listen, Paul's he had to write a hard letter to this church at Corinth. He had to call them out about the sin that they were living in. They didn't enjoy that. They didn't think, wow, that was awesome that we had to see our sin so clearly. But when they grieved, Paul grieved. And then Paul said, but I'm, I'm not sorry because it led you to repentance. Man, speaking truth within the body of Christ, if it brings people to repentance, is the gift of God. It's not a curse. It's not hard. It's not offensive. Man, the, the word of God in truth is life for us. So, man, if we're going to put on the new self, when we put on the new self, we stop the lying. We stop the deception. We stop accepting mediocrity or sin. And we speak truth to one another because as I speak truth to you and God works in your life and you speak truth to me and God works in my life, guess what happens? Man, the church grows and is strengthened, and Christ is honored by that. Well, he goes on. 
He says in verse 28, or excuse me, verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. This is a unique verse because it says, be angry and yet not sin. If you look down at verse 31, it says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you. So you kind of say, well, which one is it? I mean, be angry and sin not or remove all anger from us. And so really what he's talking about here in verse 26 is that the anger that you can have where you don't sin. Anger that is a, a righteous anger. The anger that when you're angry about things that God is angry about. And typically that's sin and injustice and unrighteousness, right? For example... Uh, because of my association as a chaplain, I know that the last couple of weeks there's been four or five suicides that our police officers have had to respond to in Casper. The last two to three weeks, a ton of them. I pulled up to one of the young cops the other day when he was sitting by the road doing paperwork, and I said, hey, man, what's going on? He's, and I could tell he's listening to the radio, and he looks up and he goes, I got to go to a suicide. I went, sorry, Carson, man, I'll pray for you. That stuff breaks my heart, but it makes me angry too. Because there's some sin in that. There's some wickedness in that. There's some evil in that that hurts people and destroys lives at levels that I can't even describe to you. Not only just the families that have been impacted by that, but the police officers that have to deal with that and the EMTs and all that are involved with that. Man, it just devastates us and it devastates our community. Quite honestly, man, I... I left him and said, man, Lord, what, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? We should not take lightly that there's so much suicide in our community. And honestly, I want you to pray with me earnestly. Lord, what would you have us do in response to the amount of suicide in our city? What would you have College Heights Baptist Church do in response? And I have no idea what that is, but why would we not ask? Please ask with me. We should be angry about some of the stuff that destroys lives as God is angry about it. But I, I love this, this passage, be angry and do not sin. None of our anger, because it should be righteous anger, should lead us to sin. The problem with us is that oftentimes our anger quickly turns into sinful anger. It quickly turns into condemnation, judgment, quickly turns into bitterness or wrath that we talked about later, quickly turns into unforgiveness. And, and he's teaching us here, if we're going to put on the new self, if Christ is in us, if the Holy Spirit's in us, then we can't let that anger turn into sin. Matter of fact, it says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Oftentimes in our discussions in premarital counseling or marital counseling, I, I talk about anger and I talk about how you You've got to deal with that anger, in particular, just deal with it before you even go to bed. I mean, I know some of you spouses here, married couples, I know you never go to bed angry. You never lay there the whole night thinking, man, if she'd just shape up, I'd sleep better tonight. It was her fault, and, you know, she should admit that it was her fault. I didn't have anything to do with this. Doggone it. That never happens to Beth and I. You know, and I'm sure that you guys that do that wake up in the morning and say, how'd you sleep, honey? Only to hear her say, I slept great. I was the big jerk, right? You ever do that? I know, college heights. You guys are so good. 
I've obviously done that. Most of the time I am wrong. That's the thing about anger, isn't it? It makes you an idiot. It just proves that you, you didn't put on the new self. It just proves how sinful you are. Man, it says don't let the sun go down on your anger because quite honestly, if you don't deal with sinful anger, you give the devil an opportunity to move in your life. And when it comes to the context of the church, not just a, a married couple, that anger that's held on to, it does turn into bitterness and resentment and hatred and division and destruction in the body. We don't get to stay angry. We don't have the right to be angry. As we're going to see here in a little bit, we should forgive because we have been forgiven. Man, when you put on the new self, you have to have a new heart and a new attitude toward even those who have sinned against you or offended you. Be angry if you're going to sin not and be angry at unrighteousness. But if you let it turn into personal vendetta or unforgiveness, then the devil has gotten in there. He's wreaking havoc in your life and he's going to wreak havoc in our lives through you. Well, it goes on. It says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now, this one seems a little bit simplistic as well. I mean, let the thief steal no longer. But remember, we're talking about having put off the old manner of life. I mean, if you read through a couple different lists in, in the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks about such were some of you, adulterers, liars, you know, all these different lists, thieves. I mean, we didn't come to Christ with clean lives. We came to Christ with sinful lives. And so now he's talking about the guy that was a thief and he put off his old manner of life. And what he needs to put on now is the new self. And he no longer needs to steal. He no longer needs to be a thief. What's so crazy about this to me is what he says. He's to do honest work with his own hands. If we stopped right there, we'd all go, amen. We all need to be working hard. We all need to be taking care of ourselves. We all ought to be working to have a bigger house and a bigger car and nicer clothes and get more loans so we can have more of these things, all this stuff, right? Amen. Let's work hard so we can have all the things we want in the world today, right? But that's not what this says. This says so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that when you lay off the old manner of life and put on the new self, you are then related to the church to the extent that you want to have an honest job so that if one of your brothers or sisters has a need, you can supply that need. Isn't that a novel concept? I know it's a little bit different with money, but you know, I was kind of joking earlier about being gone more often so you'll pray for me more, but you know... When I'm gone, apparently you pray. Because, man, I'm a lot better today. Your prayers were powerful, which was cool. But, you know, when do we pray for somebody? We pray for somebody when they're really needy, right? Hallelujah. Well, when it comes to finances, when we find somebody needy, man, we have a whole different idea and attitude toward them sometimes. 
But man, here's the thing, right? We are one. We're in the body of Christ. We're together. We're brothers and sisters. We came to Christ the same way. We're in Christ the same way. We stay in Christ the same way. And man, when one stumbles and struggles, we struggle with them. When one rejoices, we rejoice with them. When one has a need, we should have the heart to want to help them and meet that need. Amen? But sometimes because we are a little bit selfish, we consume ourselves with all kinds of things like loans and other reasons, spend all our money on ourselves, and then we see a brother in need, we go, um, I don't have anything left for you. You see the difference of what it means to walk with the new self where our eyes are off ourselves and on somebody else, off ourselves and on the good of the body of Christ, off ourselves and our personal agendas and realizing that God's got an agenda for us in this. It's a huge transformation. Then he says in verse 29, no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Those three verses really all go together. They're all speaking about similar things. I mean, it begins by saying no foul language should come from your mouth. Now, a lot of times you read that and the first thing you think of is cursing or swearing. I think that applies, by the way. If you really want to know the truth, I don't believe that anybody that names the name of Jesus should be cursing or swearing. I've had a few guys tell me, well, it's just who I am. I can't help it. I'm like, well, how about if I just punch you? Because I can't help it. What a crazy thing to say. Oh, I can't help it. That's baloney. You can't help it. You ask God, he helps you. Let me read how difficult the tongue is so that we kind of get a perspective. In James 3, 6 through 8, it says, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless, evil, and full of deadly poison. Well, James is saying, yeah, the tongue is a tough thing. These words that we speak, they are harsh. But you can tame the tongue if you put on the new self. If you put on the Holy Spirit and he works in your life, you can resist using foul language because he'll help you. But he's not just talking about cursing. He's not just talking about cussing. The Greek word for foul language is like fish or fruit or any other products that have spoiled or gone to ruin or have become putrid. It's talking about stuff that's rotten. It's talking about stuff that's rotten coming out of your mouth. And that can involve all kinds of things like being critical, condemning, belittling, sarcasm that couches criticism. I mean, you're talking about Anything that would tear down. I mean, how often do we mock somebody in jest and think it's okay because we've laughed about mocking them? It's talking about anything that's going to tear down another brother or sister in Christ. That's not the kind of language that God wants to come out of our, out of our, out of our mouths. 
Matter of fact, it says, but only what is good for building up someone in need. So that he gives grace to those who hear. We're talking about the church. Right? We're brothers and sisters. We are to be together to build each other up, to give grace in times of need. You know, it's, it's okay to have some fun with one another. It's not okay to hurt one another and then brush it off by saying, well, I was just teasing. No. They'll say things that are going to build each other up because when we begin to tear each other down, look at verse 30, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. I mean, you think words don't grieve God's Holy Spirit? Every foul word that comes out of our mouth reflects a foul attitude in us, which reflects a wrong relationship with God, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. And it grieves him because, like it says here, you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Here's the Holy Spirit as he looks at our lives. And man, Christ gave his life on the cross, rose from the dead. God drew us to Christ through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit washed us and redeemed us and made us God's child and then keeps us for the day of redemption, seals us. means nothing's going to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's done all this work to save us. He's done all this work to add to his kingdom and to build up his church. And then we as his children go around hurting one another, tearing one another down, using language that's inappropriate. And you think God's not grieved by that. I mean, it should be shocking to us to think that God is actually grieved by foul language, just inappropriate language, hurtful language. He's grieved by that. So he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with these words that we use that tear down. You all are precious to God. He didn't just seal me and redeem me. He sealed every believer here and has redeemed us And so he cares for every single one of us with this incredible love and grace and depth. And yet, we sometimes allow our old manner of life, our pride, our foolishness, our arrogance to cause us to tear others down rather than to give them grace in the time of need. That's not okay with God. That grieves his heart. It's hard to think that we would cause God to grieve. But that's what it says. So then verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. Then when you put on the new self, you've got to get rid of all that bitterness and anger and wrath. And it's, we've talked about this enough already. Man, when you, when you take an offense into yourself and you keep it, when you take an injustice into yourself and you keep it, man, when you get mistreated and you know you've been mistreated, but you hold on to that thing, what you're literally saying is, I'm not trusting God. I'm not trusting God. I'm trying to get my own vengeance. I'm trying to bring my my own consequences forth. I'm going to be mad at that person, hate that person, get back at that person. But the Bible says the vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay. Truth of the matter is that when you walk in the new self, man, you forgive, 
and you give life to others, whether they deserve it or whether they don't, because you are new, because Christ is in you, and because he comes out of you, and it's a gift and it's powerful. Put away all the shouting and slander. You know, that sounds funny sometimes. I don't know how often you get shouted at. Every now and then, a couple times in the years I've been a pastor, people started shouting at me. That's not a great idea. I don't do response so well with shouting, so I just kind of usually go, uh, 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 nah. You want to talk to me, you can talk to me. But you're not going to shout at me. Shouting at me is a great way to destroy me. Shouting at me feels like I'm 12 again, right? That's just not the way that works. And as followers of Christ, shouting and slander, how could we not want to put that away, right? Respond to one another with grace. And then it says, and all malice, and literally all malice is anything that you would want to do evil towards somebody else. Anytime you want to do something to get back at somebody else, that's malice. We should put all of that away because we are new in Christ Jesus. You see the difference the new self makes? You put off the old manner of life that was lived in the futility of our minds. And that futility of minds, if you remember, if you were here, means the dead-endedness of that way of thinking. Right? When you live in the futility of your mind, your life is a dead-end life. You're not adding to it. You're not blessing it. You're living in the flesh. You're living in the world. There is no hope for everlasting life. There is no direction for your life. It's just get all you can now and then die and be condemned by God. That's the old life. That's what we want to put away, that futile thinking that makes no impact in this world or in others. And he finishes this, this passage with the sweet stuff, and he says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. And when you put on the new, step, the new self, then you have the chance to show kindness and compassion. Do you know what a gift kindness and compassion really are? I mean, they're a gift to others that you share that kindness and compassion with, but they're also a gift to you. I don't know anybody that's ever come home after a day of just being kind and compassionate and went, man, what a lousy day. Do you know anybody like that? I don't know anybody spent the day being kind and compassionate and didn't come home and just thank God for the opportunity to have a day where you could bless somebody else and just show the joy of Christ in your life. Kindness and compassion, man, everybody needs it. Everybody needs it. You may think you don't need kindness and compassion, but that'd be a lie. We're here to tell truth. Man, we all fall short. We all have bad days. We all make mistakes. We all need others within the body of Christ to come along and show some kindness and compassion to us because we've been given kindness and compassion by Christ. And we need to forgive because God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. There's not a person in here that knows Jesus as Lord and Savior that has any right to be unforgiving about anything Not one thing. Have you been mistreated? So have I. Have you been neglected? Who hasn't? Are you going through a tough time? Who's not? I mean, you're dealing with a boss you don't like. So what? I mean, come on. 
You're going to hold a grudge against people when God has forgiven us enormous amounts of sin. Enormous amounts of sin. Who hasn't offended somebody else? Who hasn't mistreated somebody else? Who hasn't spoken appropriate about somebody else? Who hasn't done all the things that we are offended by? And don't we all need not forgiveness alone, but to forgive because we've been forgiven? See, these things aren't about doing them to please God. These things are about putting on a new self that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right when the Holy Spirit is in us, he's speaking to us, he's growing us into his image, then that's how we respond to him. This is how we walk with him because he's in us. Man, if he's not in us, then we can't do any of these things. None. Because even if we pretend on the outside we're doing them, the inside is lying about it. But if Christ is in us, then man, what a sweet gift this is to each other as the body of Christ. And what a powerful testimony the church that is the church, the real church that walks this way with one another what a gift it is to this city. Can you imagine what would happen if we began to treat each other this way, not just externally, not just skin deep, but with pure hearts and pure minds and pure actions, if this is how we begin to treat one another? Do you think Casper would sit up and take notice? I promise you they would. They wouldn't know what to do with us. They might consider us freaks, but we would be noticed because that's what God wants. He wants to get glory from his church. He wants to get glory from Christ Jesus who's moving in his church. Yes, it takes some commitment. Yes, it takes some humility. Yes, it takes some prayer. Yes, it takes some effort. Yes, it means shut your mouth sometimes or speak up sometimes. Yes, it means to humbling yourself before one another. It does, but it's so good. And by the way, who wouldn't want to be a part of the church like that? Who wouldn't want to? Man, I love it when the church is the way she's supposed to be because she's powerful and she's sweet and she's beautiful. And what she is is a picture of Jesus Christ. Man, man, I love you. I mean that. I hope you know that. But we got some work to do. I'm not trying to be mean. We got some work to do. I have some work to do. We as a church have some work to do. But we have to move away from self. We actually have to begin to see that a church is an actual body, an organism that works together, that has to be connected, that has to display the things we just talked about. It won't get done any other way. It won't get done tomorrow. But we should be striving, shouldn't we, day by day, to become that church? And man, if you're here and you have never trusted Jesus Christ, just so you know, you can't be a part of the church. can't be. You might join, you might get baptized, but if you don't know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're outside of Christ. You're outside of God. You're outside of his church. You're outside of his kingdom. 
And that's not what he wants. He wants to save you. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and he rose again on the third day that you might be forgiven of your sins, which gives you the right to have a right relationship with God. And man, if you don't know him, I pray that today you trust him as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's so good. It is so good. It calls us to things that we don't always think about. It it calls us to trust in you, Lord, because we can't do it on our own. It calls us to repentance, Lord God, and faithfulness. And we consider all those things hard sometimes. But nothing is harder than to reject them. And nothing is harder than to live selfish, sinful lives, destroying others, dividing the body. Nothing's harder than that. So Lord, forgive us of our sins and give us the grace to draw near to you to become the church that you created us to be. And Father, for those that have never trusted you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Max is going to come lead us in the Lord's Supper. As our servants come, I'd like to read to you out of John chapter 6. Early on in Jesus' public ministry, he drew a line and he said, you cross this line and you stand with me. If I become your everything, then that's where you need to be. But if you don't cross that line, if, you, if I'm not your everything, then you'll walk away. You'll walk away from truth. You'll walk away from life. He said it this way. Let me read it this. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He says, as the, fa- as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread with the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless... It is granted by him, by, to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, 
the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus drew this line and he pointed out that it was his body and his blood that would save. And you either have all of him and only him as your source of life, as your everything, or you'll walk away and not have eternal life. You'll not have uh, truth. So I urge you, if you have not already given your life to Christ, step across that line. Allow him to be everything to you. And if you have, then you understand what we celebrate here when we celebrate with these elements of the cup and the bread. That Christ died for us to save us. And his salvation is sure and permanent and thorough. And that's what we celebrate, that he gave us life. So let's pray, and then these men will distribute these elements. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you for his resurrection, to be sure. But thank you that he paid the price of our sin. That we might not face your wrath, but we might know peace with you through his death on the cross, through his blood, that we might live forever as your children. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. These men will hand out the elements, and you'll need both cups in the stack. One has the bread, and the other one has the fruit of the vine.
sacrificially and willingly gave for us. He was eating the Passover with his disciples. He said this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body. Jerry, would you lead us in a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ? Lord Jesus, we... We thank you so much for the gift that you gave us through your life, through your death. We're unworthy, and yet your love was demonstrated, and we are so grateful. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate this and to worship you, for you alone are worthy of praise. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. The body of Christ. Matthew continues, and then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Rod, would you lead us in a prayer of thanks? Father, I thank you for this amazing gift that you've given us in you allowed your son to be the sacrifice for our sins, to take away the, all the sins that we have by making you Lord of our life. Father, we thank you that you allowed him to be beaten and, and torn and his blood to be shed. He, be, he was pierced and the blood ran, ran from him. But you allowed that to happen so that we could have salvation and peace in our lives. It's in his name I pray. Amen. The blood of Christ and the new covenant in his blood. We get to live with him because he is our all. Would you stand with me and we'll sing that chorus again. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Dismissed.